Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to Inside the Monster with Steve Peralt and Joey Capone. Welcome to episode 33 of the official Red Sox podcast, Inside the Monster, presented by Odyssey with myself, Steve Peralt, and Joey Capone. We have a very special guest today. It is none other than Mike Timlin, former Red Sox reliever. He is a four-time World Series champion, two of those coming with the Red Sox in 04 and 07. Didn't even know if he was going to come back to play baseball. It was in his late 30s that he signed with the Red Sox. Theo got him to Boston, and he did not regret the move. He had a phenomenal career just with the Red Sox, and he gave us a lot of great stories. He really did. It was an awesome interview. Went for about 45, 50 minutes. Mike Timlin, I I realized doing some research on him because I, I know all the Red Sox stuff, but I kind of forgot that this guy played with some of the best players in the history of baseball. He was with prime Ken Griffey Jr. with the Mariners, early A-Rod with the Mariners, Randy Johnson with the Mariners, Cal Ripken Jr. with the Orioles, some studs in St. Louis and Philly, and then obviously with the Red Sox, David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, Pedro Martinez, Nomar Garciaparra. Some great teammates. He gives us some great stories, a lot of good behind-the-scenes stuff, things that I didn't know uh, about some of his experiences with other teams and a lot of stuff with the Red Sox that uh, I was hearing for the first time. So really great interview here with Mike Timlin and want to jump right into it. So right after this quick break is our interview with former Red Sox reliever and four-time World Series champion Mike Timlin. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Alrighty, we are here with none other than four-time World Series champion, Mike Timlin. Mike, first off, thank you for doing this and welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Appreciate you all having me. Absolutely. We're going to jump right into this. We are jumping right into your career, which is a fascinating one. I'm curious, when did you find out that you got called up to the Blue Jays in 91? And what was that feeling like? Um, it was in spring training. I made it. I made the team out of spring training. Um, uh, uh, Willie Frazier had been traded over from the Angels relief pitcher and uh we got we started you know kind of playing catch and, and talking quite a bit and uh in 91 and <clears throat> i knew the clubhouse guy you know from being down in uh, lower a ball in dunedin florida so i talked to him every day i'm like i said if you can just tell me you know when it's coming i mean <laughs> let me know when the cut's coming you know just he's like dude just go out and just play the game just go have fun. As long as you're here, just keep going, have fun. And it got down to like, you know, cuts. And I saw guys leaving and getting cut and literally sending down to triple a and double a. And I was like, it's coming. I know it's coming. And, you know, I, I would talk to him every day and I'm like, dude, just let me know. He's like, just keep going. And it, it got down to the last day and I, we were packing our stuff, you know, out of our, uh, out of our apartment and putting it on the bus. And I'm like, and this guy's name is Darren. I'm like, Darren, I said, and they going to pull me off the bus. He goes, dude, just get on the bus and go. <laughs> and I never left. <laughs> so there never, wasn't, never, there wasn't like a specific, like you're, you're on the Jays. It's more like, just get on the damn bus. <laughs> just get on the damn bus. You know, and we had a, our last day in, uh, in Dunedin. Um, we had a two game series against the Mets in New York. And I've never been to New York in my life. And, uh, you know, we went to Shea stadium and played two games there. And I had people screaming my name. I'm like, how do these people even know who I am? I'm like, this is a, you know, small town boy from Texas. I mean, what are you doing? And, uh, you know, I literally wrote a letter cause I didn't have a cell phone to my, uh, my wife. And I said, you know, I was writing the letter. I remember sitting, you know, mid plane right above, you know, the, uh, the wings and writing her a letter and saying, I think I really made the team, you know, and mailing it when I got into Toronto. So that is um, that's that that's is how awesome. long ago it was. <laughs> that, no, I mean, there's there's something authentic about writing a letter. That that's a real thing. A text doesn't have the same kind of care behind it. So you you wrote a letter, and that's that's what mattered. So I like that's that. Very yeah. true. Um, so yeah, fast forward to the '92 season. You played 26 games in that season for the Blue Jays. You made four relief appearances in the 1992 postseason run for the Blue Jays, but none more important, of course, than Game Six in Atlanta. 11th inning, you're up four to three, tying run on third, which I believe was John Smoltz. What was. was that? What was that feeling like going into that game and that atmosphere? I think that was three brave stadiums ago. They make a new stadium like every seven <laughs> years. You, yeah, you're right. It was, it was a launching pad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There you go. Yeah. So what was that feeling like? Because you're you're a younger guy, you're new in your career, 
And they're like, we're going to Timlin with two outs to close out the World Series. That had to be nuts. Yeah, it was uh, It was a little bit uh, – I don't know if it was terrifying. Maybe I just ran in, you know, like some people just run in a fire just because they don't think about it. Yeah. And Mark Eichhorn and I were down in the bullpen, and we were we were getting loose. And they had already brought, you know, Jimmy Key and, you know, Tom Hinkie and Dwayne Ward. All those guys came in. And they went to go get Jimmy Key out of there, and Cito put his right hand up, and I just dropped the ball. And the, you know the, the mounds were not inside the outside wall; they were they were on the field at yeah. that time. And I just literally just dropped my ball and ran. I I I, it, I could have been like totally embarrassed where they're like, no, no, we wanted the other guy, <laughs> but I just jogged all the way in, and uh, you know when I went to the mound. It, you know, there's a small story on that one, too. Went to the mound, and Otis Nixon was coming up, and I'm warming up, and Cito hands me the ball and says, uh, okay, so Otis, you know, might try to drop a bun on on you, so just be aware. I said, okay. So he hands me the ball, and I do my warm-ups. Pat Borders comes out and says, all right, just be aware of the bun. I said, okay. Kelly Gruber walks over. He goes, you know, he can bunt right here. I said, <laughs> I got it. I got it. Yeah. Joe Carter, who's playing first base, comes, you know, comes in. He goes, dude, if he bunts, you got it. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I know. He might bunt. <laughs> and, you know, he obviously was on the he was on the third pitch, but um Borders just gave me four seamers. He goes, dude, just bring it. And Otis swung, barely nip nipped the first one and uh did the exact same thing on the second one. And when he was with us the next year, because he came to Toronto, I asked him, I go, dude, what in the world were you thinking? You, why are you bunting with two outs? And the guy on third base, he goes, if you saw my first two swings, which you did, I was not getting around on your fastball. <laughs> <laughs> and he knew you're so probably going to keep throwing heater, heaters. Yeah, he's just, just going to keep, keep coming at him. Yeah. 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 That was on that play, well, two things. I know it, it's funny to know that you dropped the ball because you did run in with a little bit of pace. I watched it back the, uh, yesterday, and you run <laughs> they in. Still and have I, that film? Oh, they do. Oh, they got it. Yeah, from '92. But you kind of look back briefly to the bullpen as if to say, "It is me that's coming in, right?" And you just keep going. I honestly yes. was confused yes, at sir. first because he took a while to call you in. It was the mound visit lasted like a minute, and then he finally put the hand up, and I'm like, "That's." If I'm yeah. if I'm warming up, I'd want to know quick. Like, am I coming in? Am I not? Like, I, I got to be able to maybe end the World Series and win the game. <laughs> and then for the bunt, pretty right. good bunt. It's a pretty good. That wasn't, uh, you know, a bad bunt. He can it fly. Was. You made you made a good play on it. Oh my gosh, yeah. And the more I look at it, I, I think he's pretty close to safe. I'm just he's like very Man. close. I'm like every time I, I I see myself feel the ball, I'm like, dude, get rid of it because he's flying. <laughs> Yeah, no, it was it was an impressive play. But obviously, you guys then go on to win the World Series again in 1993. I'm curious what the biggest challenge was of repeating as World Series champions in the last 40 years. It's you and the late 90s Yankees are the only teams to go back to back as World Series champs. What was the hardest part about doing it two times in a row? Um, you know, every, obviously, you have a target on your back and everybody wants to beat you. Um I think one of the best things that we that had happened to our team, you know, we didn't stay with the same personnel. We did change some personnel. Um, and it brought a freshness, uh, fresh hunger 
to what we were doing. We already had things established and we knew, you know, going in the first time you, you do this, I mean, um, we lost in 2000 or, uh, in, uh, in 91, we lost and we were in the playoffs against the twins. So that loss actually taught us something, how to, you know, maybe possibly get to the next step and not make the same mistakes twice. And then when we did win in 92, um, we knew we kind of, I don't know if you ever know what you're doing, but mm. we kind of knew what we were doing, you know, the game plan and the formula and with the new personnel that we, we brought in, you know, uh, with Molitor, um, you know, it just, it just refreshed us and we were able to keep the push. It's like almost, we lost no momentum going into the next year, which was, which was pretty crazy. It's hard to do for, you know, a sustainable amount of time at, at any level at any sport. Um, so we got, you know, I should say lucky um, to have that momentum and, and to keep it for that long. And we played really well. Um, you know, Cito, he put together a great lineup day in and day out. And, you know, he relied on his personnel, you know, guys that, uh, you know, you throw out there. He's like, go play. You know, he didn't he didn't try to interfere. He didn't try to, you know, it wasn't about him. Um, obviously, it was about him because, you know, he did a good job, you know, filling it out. But. Um, it wasn't, it was never about, you know, the front office. It was never about the managers. It was always about the players and he let us play. So, uh, after your time in Toronto, uh, from 97 to 02, you were with the Mariners, uh, Orioles, Cards, and Phillies. You had a three, five, one ERA during that time, by the way. Uh, what is your most memorable experience from that seven year stretch before you joined the Sox? Um, Going into Seattle when I was traded, <clears throat> obviously it was you know the first time I was traded. But uh, going as a whole new team, um, knowing what kind of lineup that Seattle always possessed, because every time you went into Seattle, you knew they could hit the ball. And their their detriment was at that time no pitching. And even though they had you know Jamie Moyer, uh, Fazio, they had. Um, Bill Swift, they had uh, Randy Johnson. You know, it was always they couldn't like just get over the hump. I mean, they could outscore you. I mean, if, if you let them outscore you, you're not catching them. But mm -hmm. if you could keep them down, uh, you had a chance to win some games. And going in there and seeing that from the other side, the belief system that was existing in the area, and this is uh, this is just how I see, you know baseball in general. And, and I, I, I acquaint it to, uh, the 2003, 2004, you know, 2005 teams also how people believe that you're going to perform is how really you perform. And for so long that they struggled with, with pitching and, and their relief core that any reliever that came in, no one believed that they were going to do it. So it was almost like you were automatically defeated before you got in there even though if you believed in yourself that you're going to run through a, a four foot brick wall and you've done it before they didn't believe that that was going to happen so mm. you couldn't have done it and that's how i i that was the first time i really touched you know outside energy and got in kind of in touch with that and how that really affects the momentum that's on the baseball field um, mm -hmm. that's obviously not my most memorial, uh, memorable time, but, um, becoming the closer for the, the, uh, the Orioles was actually, uh, 
uh, really awesome. I'm, you know, it, uh, gosh, Ray, I can't remember Ray's last name, or my manager um, in Baltimore. He took us out the first night we got into Baltimore, <clears throat> brought the new guys, and there was uh, five of us, and brought us out to the mound in Camden Yards and said, this is your new home. This is what you defend. This is what you're proud of. This is, you know, and it already had been established, you know, with the Ripken, you know, era that's there and having him on the team was amazing also, but, you know, it, it instilled a pride factor where if it's a new team, you really don't have that association of it. And at that point, that was one of the most memorable times I've ever, uh, I guess related to, you know, my manager and my team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I know one, one specific question I got, I got Griffey over my shoulder, so I got to ask a Griffey (laughs) question. So you're, you're there in Seattle in 97 and 98. Griffey has 56 homers both seasons and is just at the peak of his powers. Just one of the greatest players of all time, really in his prime. What was that like? And what was that like the Griffey mania like in Seattle when it was at its peak? It, it was uh, absolutely crazy. Um, you know, he could do pretty much no wrong. Um, even if, I mean, he could have gone over four a couple of days. And once again, the belief system, since he's done it before, everybody believed that he could. He believed he could, and he did. Um, but to tap into that, you know, and, and having uh, Ken Griffey Jr. on the team and then having Alex Rodriguez – as you know, your shortstop was pretty amazing. Now, the bad part about it was, you know, the flip side, not every team gets along and superstars tend to rub each other the wrong way. Those two did. Um, Mm -hmm. Ken Griffey Jr. was the reigning king in Seattle. Um, You know, he was the golden boy, everything. And with Alex coming up, he was becoming that and becoming larger and larger as a, as a player and a, and a persona. Um, so it didn't really coincide with what we were trying to get done on the field. So I think that kind of, you know, blew our team up a little bit, even though we had some, you know, we had some superstars on that team. You know, we had Buner, we had Sagi, we had Johnson, we had Moyer, we had uh, junior, we had Rodriguez, you know, I mean, we had some studs. Uh, Cora was there. Yeah. And, um, you know, we were amazing, but we just couldn't figure out how to play as a team in my, my, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And a great video game team. I got to say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you put that team on the video. If you could get some pitching out of that team. Oh my goodness. You could beat some boys. <laughs> uh, I remember playing Kanger for junior baseball in 97, 98. Y'all were unstoppable. That team was incredible. Yeah, it was crazy. Uh, I mean, yeah, but th- that's it's it's cool to know behind the scenes a little bit of like, yeah, it doesn't always work out. You're not always going to have Poppy and Manny and, and it and it clicking like that. But speaking no. of Sox, guys, obviously it's a Red Sox podcast. We got to get to your Red Sox days. Started 2003, I believe it was at the very beginning of the year, early January. You sign a one year deal with the Red Sox. I'm curious of what that process was like and, and what landed you in Boston. Um, you know, my wife and I, we were we we left Philly. Um, finished out our, our, our time there in Philadelphia, which was minimal, um, so to speak, after the, the trade deadline. Um, 
and I came home and I, I, I looked at her and I said, I said, I, I think I'm done. I mean, I think I'm done with baseball, honestly. Um, and she's like, well, you know, she said, why don't we just, you know, take a deep breath, take a couple of weeks, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll pray about it. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll think on it, you know, all of it. We'll just let God, you know, lead us where we need to go. And I said, okay. So I totally forgot about baseball, played a little golf, you know, went hunting, did all my stuff. And, um, I started thinking, I was like, well, it'd be nice to go back home. So I called both GMs in Houston and the Rangers. And I, you know, basically offered myself up, um, gave them a, a minimal number and said, you know, I'll just show up. No incentive clauses, none of that, all of that other BS. I said, you know, and we'll go from there. And both of them said, you know, we really like what you do and we really like how you go about your business. Um, but we're actually looking to, to fill in these certain positions before we do the bullpen, which told me, um, a lesson, you know, that I now know very well that the relief core is kind of like, you know, they just try to fill it in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I let that go and I said, okay, that's fine. Um, so I, I blew that off. You know, I was disappointed that, you know, neither, neither guy said, you know, just, all right, we'll take that show up, you know, we'll see if you can make the team. It didn't happen that way. So I waited a couple of weeks and I got a call from Theo and he was actually offering me more for a one-year deal. <clears throat> and he said, you know, just come in. We don't have a closer. We know you've closed before. We know you're a really good setup guy. But just come in for the one-year deal, and we'll see how everything works out. And obviously, you know, it worked out in my favor, you know, spending six years uh, as a Boston Red Sox. But um, that's that's pretty much how it goes. And I told him, I said, you know, I, I, I called these two guys. And they said, well, yeah, you know, I said, well, they told me that they're just trying to fill in the, the, the bullpen. He, did, he said, it does happen that way. I said, you tell me, are we just trying to fill in the bullpen or are we going to make a, a serious go at this? And he said, no, we're going to make a serious go at this. He said, we got some pretty good personnel coming in. And I said, okay, fine. And from there on, that's that's where we went. I like this. So that that's kind of what puts it over the top where it's like, no, this isn't just a, Hey, come up, come along for the ride type of thing. Like we're going right. to need you if we're going to do something significant. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to lean on you. You're going to, we're going to make it happen. So if it, if you have a significant role or even if you don't have a significant role, if you're told you have a significant role that you're going to be important, you're going to be better. And I, I believe that that's how Theo approached it. And that 2003 season, I know everyone thinks back to the the ALCS. That was a magical run. Uh, you had 46 yes. postseason appearances in your career, but only one. This this game sticks out to me so much, and I feel like it doesn't get discussed enough amongst Red Sox fans. Only one time in your career did you have a three-inning postseason appearance, and that was Game 3 of the 2003 ALDS Saturday night at Fenway seemed like one of the craziest <laughs> atmospheres of all time. People were having fun. Uh, even though you guys were down 2-0 in the series uh, to the A's first off, I'm curious of your perspective because you're obviously out there in the pen in the sixth inning when this, it's just madness going on in the top of the sixth inning, the Eric Burns moment with, uh, with Veritech at the plate, he misses the plate. 
and he shoves Veritek. Veritek tags him and he's out. And it's like, I don't even know if I've ever seen that in my life. And then the Tejada thing was bizarre. I don't know what was going on there. He got interfered with at third, but then they called him out because he didn't continue to play to try to score. When you guys are in the bullpen and crazy things are going on, what is that like? Are you like, what's going on? We are literally, we're a little bit farther away from the playing field. So some of the, the details that you're talking about, um, we we don't know. We can't pick yeah. up. The only thing we'd get over, it would be over the phone. Yeah. Or we would yell, you know, to the right fielder, like, Trot, what is going on? What's you know? happening? <laughs> yeah, what, what are we doing? Um, but we're kind of out, you know, out in no man's land trying to figure it all out um, as our as everybody else is doing the same thing. So mm. we're not, like, in to- totally in tune with the game. That's for sure. I like that Trot Nixon is serving as this middleman, as like the messenger (laughs) relaying to the bullpen the happenings in the infield. I do like the combo of that, and then the idea of someone that dug out, like, all right, Timley, here we go. So, so Burnsy missed the plate. Veritek tagged him. Tahat is an idiot. He didn't round third. It's like that. That is kind of funny to me. But I mean, the game was crazy. It's you come out of that inning, you're tied one to one, and for your situation, you come into the eighth inning. Season on the line, Fenway atmosphere that, again, was really rowdy that night, really seemed a little different than some of the other games. Uh, what's your mentality like going up a, against a good A's lineup that's looking to sweep you guys in, in the series? You know, uh, I got out there, and and Tito looked at me, and he said, uh, he goes, you know, we're just going to go as long as you can. I said, okay. And usually I'll, I'll go and I'll pitch, you know, the eighth. And I'll, I'll come in, and I expect, you know, the closer to come in, you know, if we score, we didn't score. So mm-hmm. I look at him, and he'd look at me, and he'd go, and I'm like, okay, go back out there. And two innings, you know, and I'd come back in. If we don't score, you know, it's just, just there. And he's like, I look at him after the second inning, and we're going back out in the field. He looks at me, he goes, keep going. I'm like, okay. So yeah. I you know, got through that, that third one and I was, I just kept the same mentality. Um, it helped after a while knowing what I needed to do because some relief pitchers will, and this, uh, this is what I feel is a mistake sometimes as a relief pitcher, you come in, your heart rate's going because you've been warming up and you're in the game and you have your heart rate going and everything's, you know, all your adrenaline is flowing and, and you're, you're going, you get your three outs, you come in, you sit down on the bench and everything calms down. And I learned after a while, I can't calm down. I have to, and I paced up and down the dugout. And I drove, I know I drove some dudes crazy because they're just like, dude, sit the hell down. What are you doing? But, you know, I, I kept my heart rate up and it kept me in the game. Yeah. So I probably walked a mile, mile and a half in those three innings. <laughs> Even though that. we only got like 20 or 30 feet. So I'm just kind of weaving in between the, the, uh, the dugout poles going back and forth, but you know, it, it helped me stay where I needed to be. And then, you know, after I pitched the third inning, you know, we, we did what we needed to do. Yeah. I mean, that game was nuts. You're pitching the eighth, the ninth and the 10th inning of a do or die must win game three of the ALDS against an Oakland A's team that had a very good lineup. A lot of studs on there. You got everybody out. Nobody reached base which I thought was impressive. Literally everyone, all nine guys, it's like, no, you're, you're all out. And that's, that that's really tough. I, I can't imagine. 
a higher pressure filled situation. And I, I know you pitched and we're going to talk about the ALCS, but for to do that at home, I'm curious from your perspective of how you zone in on the mound, like the crowd's nuts. The atmosphere is crazy. How are you just targeting tech and just knowing, all right, it's me and you, we got to get through this to give our lineup a chance to win the game. Uh, well, you don't, you don't generally, generally like put it in a general sense. It's yeah. one pitch at a time. And I know that sounds very cliche, but um, that's how most people focus, you know, on the golf course, on the basketball court, you know, every snap, you know, you do the one thing that you can control. And the only thing that I could control was trying to throw the ball to the spot inside the glove that I was trying to hit. And that's all I could control. And it seemed to work out, you know, and my, at that point, of the season, I mean, you're tired. Yes, it's the playoffs. You've been playing 162 games. You know, you're into 165 games. And, you know, it's like, okay, it's hard. To, sometimes it's hard to keep your focus. But you also know that the game, if, if it happens, it could be over tomorrow. So yeah. when your back's against the wall, you really start to come out and you, and you focus on what you need to focus on. And it's the only thing that I could do was try to throw a strike at the time, make them hit the ball, get out of it as soon as I possibly can to give our team a chance. And that's all you're thinking about. You're not, I mean, you guys heard the crowd. I heard the crowd only when I'm walking in and walking out. Once I got on the dirt, you don't hear it. You know, it's, it's that, it's that whole Kevin Costner, you know, for the love <laughs> of the game thing. You don't say, Oh, clear the mechanism, but you know, it literally it goes dull. And the only thing you can think of, and I can literally hear tech talking to me sometimes. Wow. You know, even with all that, that noise, you just, you focus that, that sharply. It, it looks like it too. You're in a zone. I, I watched that game back. I mean, that's one of my favorite Red Sox games of all time, just because <laughs> it's before the world's, you know, it's before winning the title. It was always like, oh, there's, you know, wait till next year. It's like, no, it can, I know this team's good. They can win it this year. And that team really could have won it, but you, <laughs> you end up pitching in five of the ALCS games against the Yankees uh, after you guys come back to beat the A's 3-2 in that series. What First off, I'm very curious of the atmosphere of pitching in the ninth inning in Yankee Stadium after what happened with Pedro and, you know, all the, the who's your daddy stuff still wasn't even, I don't think that was even a thing yet, but that ends up, he ends up obviously staying yeah. in, Yankees tie the game. That looked like one of the, if we're talking atmospheres, that had to be kind of crazy for you to get the ball in the bottom of the ninth inning of game seven in a tie game between the Red Sox and the Yankees. Uh, and you cruised through it. What was that like? Because it looked like chaos. One of the, the, the most fun times, especially as a Red Sox, um, is to pitch well in Yankee Stadium and to be booed because <laughs> – you know, obviously you're doing your job correctly. You're getting guys out. You're making them look bad. And it pisses a lot of people in New York off. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the atmosphere going in is like, you know, it, it, it reverts back to, you know, everything you've ever learned, you know, focus on what you can control at that time. And even though you, you don't hear them, you do subconsciously hear you know, some of the things that they say, you know, when you're walking back to the dugout, I mean, the profanities that, that we hear coming over the dugout. And I'm just like, man, do you actually kiss your mother with that mouth? I mean, it's like awful. But, you know, they're just trying to they're just trying to get under your skin. And, and the more you can deflect that, 
the more it pisses them off and the better you do your job. So, yeah, I mean, that atmosphere, that's what you live for. That's, that's why you play the game. You know, if you can, and there's not one of us that have ever touched a wiffle ball bat or a bat at a park and never said two outs, bottom of the ninth, who's coming to bat. It's me, you know, mm. and you have that type, that type of uh, mentality. It's just a game. It really is. That, I mean, they've they've invented some swears in Yankee Stadium, especially the old one. It, it was different. In, <laughs> I think you're right. It was different in the old one. The new one's kind of a cruise ship, but the old one, 0304, that was a different atmosphere. I am curious. Obviously, the the Boone walk off. It's a little easier to talk about it now since you guys, you know, win titles afterwards. But what were the emotions like in the clubhouse uh, after falling in extras there in Game Seven? Um, it, it was pretty devastating. Um, you know, knowing because we had it, we had a chance, and yeah. you know, and, and I can't say that I'm glad that um, you know Tim was the one to do it, but um, I believe that God had him in the right spot at the right time because you know he is he's a legend in <clears throat> in uh, Boston. You know, he's a he's a mainstay. I mean, he's a pillar. It's it's amazing. Um, but he was so steady, and you guys saw it. I mean, you're talking about a guy who comes in and throws 66 to 57 miles an hour, um, you know, dancing butterfly, <laughs> and makes some of the best hitters in the world look silly. But, you know, come out, throw the exact same pitches, you know, same curveball, same, you know, little cutter, all the stuff, and can't make it out of the second inning. You know, it, and it's just – it's amazing. And it's – to watch him have his – his craft, um, you know, I guess, you know, thrown out at that point, you know, it, and to me, it was, it was, a, it's not lucky. I mean, you know, cause Aaron Boone's a good hitter. Um, but in every major league hitter is a good hitter, but you know, to, to have him, you know, hit the ball, I mean, he could have hit that ball, you know, 20 feet foul and we could have, you know, he could have struck him out on the next pitch and, you know, all would have been different. But if it was different in 2003, would we have won in 2004 and 2007 and 13? I mean, you don't know, you know, everything's laid out for a purpose. So, you know, I'm not saying we're, I was glad we lost because, you know, I wanted to win, but um, you know, it worked out just fine. Yeah. So, so that next year, at what point during the 2004 season, did you realize like this team is special? Like this might be the one to do it. Um, you know, when we started, like converting and and this is where the the energy thing you know um when we would make public appearances or you talk to people on the street and they actually started believing that you know this 04 team could do it because i mean they were they were they were very hyped up about the 2003 team yeah. and when we started coming together as a team um one of the things we started doing during that season in 2003 is we started going to lunch together. And I know the Boston teams that I played against as a visitor always had the, you know, 25 cabs, you know, 25 guys. So we we knew that going in and we tried to like totally reverse that. And we started going to lunch on the road and we'd get on the plane. We're landing in like say Toronto, we're at, you know, landing in New York. It, it didn't matter. You know, you'd walk up and down the aisle and go, you want to meet for lunch? You want to meet for lunch? You want to meet for lunch? And, and you're asking not two or three guys. You're 10 or 15 deep. <laughs> you know, if they can make it for lunch, I mean, and we would have a contingency 
of sometimes, you know, 15 guys going to lunch, you know, and you go to a lunch in a big city. I mean, you know, you have to have a, and we'd they'd give us a room and we'd have a room and, you know, you just talk baseball and what's going on and, you know, learn your family. And it, it really turned our whole energy around in 2003. And then it just like seriously just exploded in 2004. And I'm talking about team wise. Yeah. And then that team mentality spilled over, you know, the walls in Fenway and everybody started believing, you know, that we actually liked each other and they actually began to like us liking each other and the energy just flowed in. It was, it was an amazing thing to see. You guys all going to lunch, who gets recognized the most in that situation? Oh my gosh. Um, well, Millar was, you know, one of the, you know, cause he's loud mouth. He's, so, I, I can hear him from know. here right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, obviously wake, wake was, uh, yeah. one of the big ones. Um, you know, Kevin or, uh, yeah. Keith Folk was there, you know, uh, Kevin Euclid came, you know, I mean, mm. and it didn't really matter, you know, I mean, there were, there were some, and everybody was recognized in different cities for, for different purposes. Um, but you know, everybody was, was, you know, recognizable, so to speak at, in those groups. And we, we all know what happens in 2004. I was just impressed that once again, you pitch in five ALCS games, 10 total against the Yankees, which that, that feels like that takes a couple of years off your life with the pressure that comes along with that. Um, <laughs> you you talked to my shoulder. I think it did. <laughs> <laughs> who, was, who was the toughest matchup for you on the Yankees of those teams in 03 and 04? Uh, wow. Um, let's see. Well, gosh, I'd have to go through the lineup again, but I mean, you know, I was actually throwing the ball, you know, fairly well at that time. Yeah. Um, I had an idea of what I was doing. So, uh, I didn't really struggle, you know, I, nobody walked to the plate and I'm like, oh shoot. You know, I, I knew I could, I literally knew I could get everybody in the lineup out. Mm. Um, you know, if, the more I think about it, the guy who hit me the, the best and, you know, and I don't know if it was that year or it was Bernie Williams, you know, yeah. he seemed to uh, just put the ball in play enough, you know, and he was fast enough to beat the, beat some of them out, but just it, out of the reach of, you know, the middle infielders, you know, so they had to move just enough where he could actually beat it out. So he was kind of, of a problem. Um, you know, I, I threw against him. I remember one at bat in Yankee stadium. Um, and I'm, I'm throwing the ball well, and I'm, I've got my sinker that goes down and away from a left-hander and he would foul that off just a little bit, or he would take it very well. And then I would try the slider or the cutter. And I threw a couple of sliders and cutters that he, I mean, rockets mm. that I'm surprised no one died in the first <laughs> uh, row. Cause I mean, he turned on those, like he knew they were coming yeah. and I looked at, I looked at him one day and he's, he's a super nice guy. And we've, you know, I've known him a long time, you know, talking, I'm like, dude, how in the world do you get around those? Cause I'm teaching you outside. He goes, man, he goes, I don't know. He goes, I hit one of them. He goes, and I was as surprised as you were. <laughs> I mean, he seems like Bernie seemed like constantly to be a, a very tough out. He'd probably waste some of your best stuff and then kind of bloop one over third. You're like, you gotta be kidding me. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. But 
but you can't sleep on him because he's got enough power to take you out of the yard. Yeah, true. So that that's the conundrum that you're facing with Bernie Williams. You know, you're trying to get him out or get him to single and keep him, you know, close to the base. But you know, if you if you make a mistake, I mean, right field was a chip shot for most lefties there. I know. Still is. Still is. Still, but still is. I, I know with uh, Game 7 there in 2004, you pitch in a, a less stressful situation considering the lead. But I am curious of your response to Tito bringing in Pedro. I'm, I'm always curious of everybody on your team and how you look at Pedro getting the ball in Game 7. Play starts going nuts. Who's your daddy? It's an 8-1 lead, by the way. So as Sox fans, and you know this, you guys live this, you guys played it. But obviously, we're all dying. Even though it's a seven-run lead, it's still like this game can't end fast enough. And then Pedro comes in. From your perspective in the bullpen, what what was it? Are you like, what what are we doing bringing Pedro in? Well, yeah. yeah. As relievers, we're like, okay, what are we doing? But (laughs) we we actually realized what he was doing. He was getting rid of that who's your daddy thing. You know, because if you leave someone out there and his last outing is just – crap you know you might get crap the next time yeah but you know they pedro really doesn't operate that way um you know his mentality is enough where he's gonna he's gonna figure out a way to get you out um but i think he literally it was just a confidence outing and i know you know saying that about a hall of fame pitcher (laughs) is is not uh, a regular thing you know, saying that about, you know, like a, a middle reliever trying to get him his confidence back and get him back into some pressure situations makes more sense. But at that point, I think Pedro actually needed it. Yeah, I, I still can't believe it happened. And I know it, it the damage was limited and all that. It, it still felt like when you came in, it was like a two-run game. The game was kind of over for five innings, but it just never felt like that because of what was on the line. Um, well, it but that, never felt like yeah. that for any any Boston fan. Until we actually, you know, made the last out. I know. Well, you make the last out there, and then the World Series flashes by, and you guys sweep the Cardinals. What was your favorite memory from that night in St. Louis winning game four? Um, I was actually on the bench. Um, no, I'm sorry. That was that was game three. Um, you know, I'll take it to game three because game four, I was in the bullpen and I ran in, you know, mm. won it. Um, game three, when I pitched, I was trying to video as much as I possibly could, you know, so from my personal, you know, just keepsakes, I had the video camera. I went into the locker room and went and got, you know, my video camera and I'm standing in the far left corner away from the TV, away, you know, trying to get video which is totally illegal during the game. <laughs> and I actually got, you know, video of, you know, the game of the end of game three and having been able to go out there and celebrate at the end of game three with that in my hand was absolutely amazing. That's awesome. But, you know, to see, uh, you know, us win it um, and have that ground ball come back to the folk, it was just like, it, it was my third World Series win. And all of them are special, but knowing, you know, what had just transpired and erasing all of that Red Sox history, not erasing it, but overcoming it, so so to speak, Mm -hmm. um, you know, was that, that thought process when it enters your mind 
to know that 86 years of history is just like, okay, we've taken the next step that so many absolutely amazing and, and historic Red Sox teams could never do. And we actually took that extra step and went outside the box. It was that, that, that's, that's something that I'll never forget. So that following year, Oh five, uh, it's your best statistical year. Uh, you and pitched every. <laughs> uh, you pitched every other night. You pitched eighty-one games. Uh, led the majors with that number. Uh, the two-two-four ERA. What is that pressure like? Being that guy out of the bullpen, being like the most reliable option uh, on a team that's trying to defend a title. Well, it is. It is what you want. You mm-hmm. want. You want the the manager to call your name. You want to be that guy. You want to be the guy that, you know, if if he picks the phone up, the first thought is we could bring Tim Lynn in this situation, you know, mm-hmm. and you, that's what, as a relief pitcher, that's what you live for. You want to be that reliable guy. Um, you know, God bless me enough that year to be strong enough to throw half the games and going into the last series before we, you know, finished all of the, uh, the regular season. I had to talk my way into the last two games, you know, and to Frank Cohen, I'm like, dude, I said, I can pitch in half the games. He's like, you don't need to pitch. I go, but I can pitch in half the games. You know, you don't understand, you know, where that in my mentality, I've been doing this for so long that I think that would be awesome to say I pitched every other day, even though we had some days off at the point, you know, just to be able to say that. And he's, he actually did not want to re- get off that and relinquish it. But, you know, I talked him into it. And then in the last day, when I did pitch on the very last day, he goes, if you get hurt, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and this is your age 39 season pitching in yes. 81 games. That's unheard of. I don't have the stats in front of you. I'm just going to say no one's done that. No that, one's that's, done it. That's ridiculous. That you were Can't able say to no do one. that. That'd be me. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm saying no one else. Yeah. No one else. Maybe, done maybe that. I'm just dumb enough not to know that I, that was dumb. Now, <laughs> no, I think that's cool, and I'm glad that I'm glad that you said it because I think it's a really cool thing to during your career be very aware. Like, yeah, I want to look back on it and say I pitched in half the like that would be a really cool thing to have. So that's right. that's neat to know in the moment because I think a lot of these guys typically say. And when we're talking to them, a lot of times they say like, oh, I wish I had done this, wish I had done that. It's cool right. that you actually acknowledged it when it really happened. Um, obviously, that the 05 season doesn't end the, the way you want it to. The White Sox go on to win the World no. Series. I personally, as a fan, feel a little better when the team that knocks the Sox out wins the title. It's like, well, weren't stopping them. That's at least a, a yeah. way to get over it. At least it. we lost to the champs. Yeah, yeah exactly. It makes yeah. it a little yeah. easier. But another good season for you, obviously, in 2007. Uh, leading up to your fourth World Series title. Five of your six appearances in that postseason run were scoreless. Age 41 season. What was the biggest difference between that title in 07 versus what you guys went through in 04? Um, I think 04, uh, we, you know, like I, like I explained a little bit earlier, we had a really tight team. I think 07, we had to manufacture a little bit more of that team mentality. So we had different personnel, obviously. Um, so we had to, you know, you had to teach guys how to be uh, reliable and playing not for yourself, but for the guy next to you. And I think 
I think it was that that year we had a, actually had a T-shirt, you know, and it said, you know, play for the next guy. So that mentality that we brought into that year, it was a struggle, you know, because it's not like we cakewalked through 2007. Yeah. Um, you know, we we struggled some, and you know, learning from those struggles as a team. I think that made the difference in going into the uh, the playoffs in the World Series. And then, I mean, the Cleveland series kind of gets overlooked a little bit. It's like that that could have ended. I know Manny's saying that it's could have ended the, the wrong way. I know he's saying it's just the game. I'm like, Manny, don't say it. Um, but that that's still. I'm gl- glad y'all were able to actually uh, obviously win the World Series. One moment you had that I thought was really cool, and only only got a, a couple more for you here was after you guys win the World Series in 07, uh, You put your arm around Wake. And have that moment with him, I believe it was the Don Orsillo interview, and just saying how much he mattered and how significant it is for a veteran to take himself out of the game and understand the importance for the team. What's your relationship like with Wake, and how much did he matter leadership-wise to that 07 club? Uh, Wake's leadership mattered a lot. Um, some of the new guys, and, you know, and the younger younger pitchers, starting, starting pitchers, uh, talked to him a lot, and uh, the way our locker room was set up, uh, Wake was in you know the corner, in our in our corner. So uh, we had Veritech in the corner, we had Schilling in the corner, we had Wakefield, Mirabelli, and then myself, and then we were just in that one corner. So having him and listening to him talk to some of the younger guys and how to get through and get over the hump of some of the things that you need to do during a season was pretty amazing in itself. But as he got down to it when he was hurt, you know, um, he literally went into Tito's office on his own and said, you know, this is what we need to do because, you know, and, and, and Tito was, you know, he was, he was trying to figure it out himself. Um, and that helped. So to have some, you know, a player step up and say, you got to put the team ahead of this because I, I can't do it. Um, to take yourself out of that situation knowing even though this is what you live for, you know, to play in the World Series, when he took himself out of that lineup and gave a, an extra roster spot, that leadership um, moment uh, sticks out to me way beyond a lot of other things. And when he was doing the, the interview, I could not help but not go say something that, had already not been covered, you know, in all the, the World Series, you know, interviews and all that other crap going on in whatever rooms down the, the hallway, it was never mentioned. And I'm like, that's not going to happen. And I, you know, I, I love Wake. We still hunt together, you know, at least once a year, you know, every year. So I get to see him quite a bit. He comes out to my mom's uh, memorial run that we have at Father's Day in Hopkinton. Um, you know, so he's been not only very supportive of what I do, but he's been, you know, a true friend for so many years. Um, and it was, I, it was a, it was a, you know, privilege to play with him. So after his playing days, Wake went down the, uh, the media analyst uh, Avenue uh, in 17, I think it was 2017. You did some color commentary for the Sox. Uh, is that something you see yourself doing again, going the media route, <laughs> analyst route? <laughs> Probably not. No, <laughs> no. I, uh, I, I, I got a phone call. You know, when Remy was sick, 
um, and they were coming out to play Colorado at the end of the year, you know, they called me and said, you know, can you fill in? And mm -hmm. I said, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to fill in. And I was like, well, I, I don't really, you know, and having Don Orsillo there, you know, he called me too. And he said, okay, I know you're filling in. This is what we're going to do. I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. And he <laughs> said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pretend we're sitting at a bar and we're watching a game and we're going to talk about the game. He goes, and you oh, just man. throw out your nuggets. He goes, right, wrong, left, right. It doesn't matter. Just, just throw them out there. And I enjoyed that, that series. And then we went, you know, they called me and said, you know, Rim's not going to be back. Can you follow him in Baltimore? And my wife's like, okay, you know, just go ahead. You know, so I, I did that and then, you know, came home, but you know, there were positives and negatives. Um, they were mostly negative. You know, social media is, uh, you know, social media is brutal. I, I, it's a nightmare. I know I'm, I could sit and talk baseball with you. It's not, my baseball speak is not politically correct. It's not anatomically, you know, correct. It's not anything, you know, but locker room baseball. And I, yeah. you know, I can sit and talk baseball with you. You know, we can do questions and answers and, you know, we could probably go for hours doing what we're doing right now. Mm -hmm. um, and I can interject in the conversation and, and actually sound like I know what I'm talking about. But you put a microphone in my way, I'm like, mm, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know about that. And a tie? Yeah. You know, uh, that's, it yeah. doesn't do me very well. The tie really doesn't. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I totally get you. Uh, how much How much are you watching the Sox right now? Um, we don't get a whole lot of uh, coverage out here in Colorado. Oh, um, oh I was going to ask. So you are out in Colorado. Oh, in Colorado. So, I mean, you know, I see some highlights here and there. Um, you know, I, by the time, most of the time when I'm, I'm doing stuff, you know, quick pitches mm -hmm. on. So mm -hmm. I'll, you know, lay in bed after the news and I'll watch, you know, MLB quick pitch. Um, so I'll catch some highlights here and there, but I don't really get to watch the Sox play a lot. Um, mm -hmm. when we were there for Father's Day weekend with my mom's run, um, we went to a game and I, I don't know anybody on the field. Um, and my, you know, sitting next to my wife, she's like, gosh, they all look so young. I'm like, yeah, they, they all do. They, they look really young. And now I'm, now I'm the old guy. So, you know, being in the mid fifties, it's like, okay, now I'm old. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. And, and I, f I feel like, uh, I'm going to speak uh, in generalities here, but I feel like ball players always find a way to stay busy after, after a playing career too. There's always something, there's always finding new ways to, to fill time, you know? Yeah. There's, there's, there's ways mm -hmm. to compete. And, you know, mm -hmm. one, of the, one of the things that the alumni association is really good about, um, they have a, a golf league that you can, you know, go compete against other amateurs or other baseball players. So you could actually get, they have a small tour. I'm not that good at golf. Um, mm -hmm. love to play. Um, but you know, I, I'm definitely not that good. You know, it's just, it's just enjoyable being out there. Uh, yeah. I hunt, I like to hunt, you know, being here in Colorado, I like to go, you know, elk hunting and then being from Texas, I get to go down and, you know, my daughter's still in college down there so I can go down and visit her and visit family down there. And, you know, we can do some, you know, deer hunting down there or I go to Kansas or, you know, wherever, you know, we can all, you know, think of something and we'll go <laughs> try to hunt something. Yeah. I, I also read, uh, that you, I believe it's you and you, your wife organized uh, a 5k race for yes. ALS. Yeah. Do you want to yes. talk a little bit about that? Yeah. About that, that's my mom's, mm -hmm. uh, my mom's run. It's, uh, the Sharon Timlin run.org is the website. Um, and it's associated with the angel fund 
And what the angel fund does is raise monies for uh, direct research for uh, Dr. Robert Brown. And he's literally breaking down um, DNA, turning genes off, turning genes on, um, you know, coming up with new things to, you know, battle ALS. Um, Kurt Schilling was a, a very big supporter of it. You know, when he was in Philadelphia, uh, ALS Society was, you know, his his thing. And I got to, you know, play with him and speak with him. And, you know, so he was very supportive of what we were doing and we did the same thing. But, um, you know, we definitely, you know, raised money in the, it was our 19th year this year. In the 19 years, we've raised uh, well over $2 million for uh, wow. research. Wow. And it's just a, uh, you know, it's 1,300 runners in Hopkinton, Mass, you know, behind the middle school and high school. And, you know, we've been doing it for a while. Um, we've had some great auction items. We've had some, you know, things uh, that we were able to, to give away and, and earn money. Um, I don't run it, if you're asking. <laughs> uh, my wife don't blame every me. year i'm i'm, I'm the sideshow i i sit under a tent I, I help start the race i help end the race and then i sit on the sidelines you know with wake or you know whoever i can you know finagle to come out and hang out with me all day and uh sign autographs for you know donations so you know we just uh we try to keep it family oriented you know there's face painting there's a color run for the kids you know, there's music, there's, there's food, you know, pizza, hot dogs, you know, silent auction. And we just have uh, a great day usually on, you know, on that Saturday right before uh, father's day. That's that awesome. Great. That, that is, yeah. that is really cool. I mean, that's even if you're not fun, running right? it, that that's, that's enormous to have that going on to raise $2 million. That's something to be very proud of. I know got one more question and then a trivia question, and we will get you out of here okay. on that. Last question I question? have. What's that? Is this the hardest question? This is the easiest question. Okay, this is, good. <laughs> this, this is softball right here. Uh, where do you keep your World Series rings? I'm always, like, you got four of them. There's not a lot of guys that have four World Series rings. Where do you keep them? The, you know, the uh, the trophy box that you got, and uh, the, I used the 2007 trophy box because it's large and square. Yeah. Um, it's in my uh, my closet, and I keep those, you know, in there, you know, when I dress up or go somewhere special, I'll be able to reach in and and uh, grab. The only two that fit are the uh, 04 and 07. Uh, I guess they still my hands fit, though. Are, that matters. That's good. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the 92 and 93 one, you know, I can't get them on my finger. I could probably put it on my pinky, but that's about it. It's a little bit big, so it doesn't fit my ring finger anymore. But, um, you know, those, those were actually made by Tiffany, and I could take a man and have them resized, but okay. you know, I just, I, I don't think I dare to. Yeah. So the evolution of the world series ring, I feel like you're a great example of someone that's just seen it firsthand from the rings you have. What's the, the 92 one to the 07 one has to be miles different, miles different. I mean, the, the 92, 93, actually, you know, the smaller that they, they look like a high school ring. I mean, yeah. if you're, you know, if you're looking at your mm -hmm. high school graduation ring, um, you know, some of the, you know, I coached, uh, high school baseball out here for nine years uh, when my kids were going to school and we won three state championships and some of those state championships, the rings, even though, you know, they're not made of the same material mm. are bigger than, you know, my world series rings in 92 wow. and 93. So <laughs> it's almost like you, know, you go from high school all the way to, you know, where we are in 2007. That, that's then, crazy. 
seeing the Marlins rings, you know, that came across uh, when they won, you know, those were just gaudy. I yeah. mean, they were, they're huge, absolutely huge. I think the Yankees changed the pace a little bit to make they they started just making the ring enormous and everyone's like we got to follow suit we got to top the the late nineties Mariners or Mariners yeah Yankees. I think you're right yeah so the Yankees set the tone and then everybody else came after that uh, last one for you Mike we always finish with a trivia question about whoever we're interviewing you pitched one perfect inning in Game Seven of the 2004 ALCS it was the eighth inning do you remember who the one batter was that you struck out? It's a former uh, teammate of yours. What? Which? Which? Which game was that? Game oh, seven. Oh, 04, oh, 04. Game seven against the Yankees. Oh, 04. Game seven against the Yankees. Huh. It'd be Alex Rodriguez. It was a Rod. It was a Rod. That is correct. I think yeah. he is. Is Mike like the first one to get the question right? <laughs> Everybody always gets. Yeah. Everybody always gets it wrong, and then we're like, "All right, see you later. Have, okay, have a see you later." <laughs> Glad you studied the game. Good job. Yeah, I know. I mean, well, we asked the most. That was a random question. You got it right. So that's impressive. We'll we'll have to send some kind of free shirt out to Colorado. Send me a lollipop or something. That'd be okay. Great. That, that'll, <laughs> that'll be the trick. But Mike, thank you so much for doing this, man. It was fun sure. to take a trip down memory lane, and and you're a great dude, and and really appreciate it. Really appreciate the time that you gave us today. Well, I thank you for asking me to get on this. This was awesome. Absolutely. All right. Take care, man. We'll talk later. All right. See you. Bye. We once again want to say thank you to Mike Timlin for giving us a lot of his time, for giving us a great interview. That was a ton of fun. I'm honestly, I'm selfish. I like talking to any of the 04 guys. I was 14 years old in 2004, and that team just mattered so, so much. The 03 team really was a roller coaster, and you thought they were going to do it. They weren't able to get over the hump. The 04 team did, and I like talking to guys like Timlin that were there for 03 and 04. There's a good handful of guys that experienced both of those seasons, both of those playoff runs, and it's crazy looking back on it that it happened the way it happened. I still can't believe that 03 goes down the way it does. Pedro almost has his shining moment and shutting down the Yankees and the Yankees come back and then 04 down 03 and you win the series 4-3 I still really it doesn't make sense it's been 18 years and I still can't believe it went down like that but shout out to Mike Timlin he gave us a lot of really good uh, answers a lot of good insight and he is an overall great dude so that was a fun interview to do honestly we might as well try to get all the 04 guys we have another uh, Red Sox 04 player coming up in the next few weeks the next time you will hear from us is either an itm short or a recap after Rays red Sox. we'll see which one comes first uh, big series in tampa obviously red Sox trying to get some momentum going into the all-star break glad they got those two wins against the yankees to close out that series but got to keep it rolling got to stay in that top wild card spot so you will hear from us again soon. But until then, for Joey Capone, I am Steve Peralt. Go Sox, kid. Inside the Monster is a production of Odyssey in partnership with the Boston Red Sox. The show is produced by me, Steve Peralt. Our executive producer is Lena Glazer, mixing and video editing by Joey Capone. Special thanks to the Red Sox and Major League Baseball for their contributions to the production of this podcast. Mm-hmm.